I can wander all the way over to here. Hi. <laughs> oh, it's great. Well, it's exciting to see, but it's a little bittersweet, isn't it, for some of us? I mean, this is, this is the space that, uh, that I came to and, uh, you know, that God used. I fell in love with this church here and uh, fell in love with you, and, and, uh, and, and we're, this is our last service here. And for some of you, you have all kinds of memories tied to this building, right? And uh, we know that, and we, we, uh, we, we feel for one another, uh, but at the same time, the future is bright, and God is calling us to some, uh, some other place. And um, had a worship pastor who used to uh, greet everyone in the morning. He would say, thank you for bringing the church into the building, because we are the church, not the building, right? We are the church, and so we need to remember that, but it's great to, to have you here this morning. I want to again invite you, if you're uh, new or a visitor, um, uh, or if you're uh, a regular attender or somebody who's just started to come, please fill this out. Give us any prayer requests that you have, and you can just put this in the, in the offering box or drop it off at the information table or give it to me uh, or, or one of the elders. Um, and um, that would be fine. That would be great. We, we want to get to know you, but we also want to pray for you. Well, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and we are in with this message in um, uh, Matthew 21. So if you want to, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 21. And this is the, this is, Matthew 21 is the start of the last week of Jesus's life. The last week of Jesus's life. And I'm going to We'll start that in just a second here. By the way, when I cough, I, don't, I haven't traveled overseas. I don't have the coronavirus. Uh, these are allergies. I will uh, try to cough into my, um, uh, my arm. That's what all of us should be doing. And we're elbowing people now. We're fist pumping or whatever you're doing. I saw one place where they're, they're tapping toes. That's what they're doing. But... Um, um, don't be anxious. Pray about everything. Uh, but, um, but I'm not contagious. You, you don't have to walk around and say unclean. <laughs> Let me pray. Father, these are your words. Make us attentive to your words. It is an act of worship for us to pay attention to you. So speak to us through your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, next week we will be worshiping at the 95 Bird Street. You've heard that, and this will... Remain. This will, however, remain the church office for some time until the offices are built out over there. But all ministry programming will gradually move to the 95th Street. And my wife was telling me before the service that I needed to remind people that the, the next uh, membership class will be held at the 95th Bird Street cam uh, campus. So just in case, if you signed up for the membership class, that's where it will be. But this week, we're, we're looking at, uh, again, I'm going to be reminding us as we move to the new campus, that while we're moving over there and a lot of things will be new, our values and vision will remain the same. 
And the passions of Manchester Creek are that a passion for the Word of God, it, it, we're picking that up. Last week I talked about a passion for God Himself, and this week, just briefly, a passion for God's Word. Love for God means a love for His Word. And so there's a logical flow to the way that we try to express our passions and try to remind ourselves uh, of, of what our church is about and what we're living for and what, how we're trying to accomplish the work of God. And, and a passion for God's Word means that a, a love for God means a love for His Word. If, if we love God, then we're going to love His Word. I, I love to talk to my wife because I love my wife. Uh, and uh, I love to hear from her. I, her perspective is important to me. And uh, that's the way uh, all of life flows. I see some husbands looking at their wives now and, uh, uh, husband, and wives looking at their husbands. Um, but that's, that's the reality. Now, why is that? Why? Well, it's because of this, because learning to live passionately for and like Jesus, that's our vision, that's who we are, that's who, where we're going, and that's how we become what, we, what God is calling us to be. Learning to live passionately for and like Jesus is inseparable from loving His Word. It's impossible to become like Jesus without loving Jesus' Word, the Word of God. It's impossible to become like Jesus and live like Jesus without loving His Word. And so we continually trumpet these and, and try to say, look, our souls leak. We're constantly forgetting important things. And so let's remind ourselves on a regular basis, this is what we're living for. And so I'm going to try and do that in, uh, in many of our messages. I'll, I'll just pull out, not, all, not every week, but uh, I'll pull out one of our values, one of our, part of our vision and try to emphasize that before we move on with the message. But that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to move on with the message. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. And that's what the book of Matthew is all about. And, and I've titled this whole series in Matthew, Behold Your King. Because that's what, that's what Matthew is trying to say to the Jewish people of his time and continues to say through his book, uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, that's what he continues to say through his book. Behold your king. Behold who he is. Look at him. Examine him. Become like him. He is your king. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. And, we, and the citizens of the kingdom need to know what the king desires of them. And then we're in this third section of Matthew, and it's the section where Jesus is in Jerusalem from chapter 16 to chapter 28. All that time, the book, uh, he is in Jerusalem uh, ministering there, um, and uh, we're in that third section of the book. Specifically, we're at the start of the last week of Jesus' earthly life. Jesus is in the temple. He's been disputing with the chief priest and the elders uh, back and forth. Every day, what happens... I have a, a chart here that to remind me. Uh, Palm Sunday has occurred. On that day, uh, he, he came, comes in in the evening. He sees what's going on. He, he is only there for a brief time, and then he leaves. Next morning, he comes in on Monday morning, and he cleanses the temple uh, because, he's, because of what he saw the night before and, uh, uh, of the day. Then, he, then Tuesday, he, he goes, he, uh, Monday night, he goes out to the Mount of Olives, and he stays there. Tuesday morning, he comes in. Uh, Tuesday uh, evening, he goes out, teaches all day. Tuesday, he goes back out to the Mount of Olives, uh, stays there, and then comes back in on Wednesday. That's his pattern until he goes to the cross all, all week. Uh, 
and he's coming to present himself as the Messiah, and you know the story. He's rejected there. He's giving, um, um, last week we talked about verses 23 through 27. We saw that Jesus' authority was questioned. And in that time, uh, that, uh, this week, he continues to press his argument against those who questioned his authority. Last week, when they questioned his, his authority, in that text, we saw that he won that argument. Uh, and, uh, and he's going to continue to press that argument further with three separate parables, one after another, of rebuke of the religious leaders of that time. And that's uh, the first one is what we're going to go through uh, today. So he comes into the temple. They're, re- they're ready. They think they're loaded for bear. Jesus turns the tables on them. And right now, if you would, let's stand for the public reading of, uh, of the word. And if you would go through those slides for me there. Chapter 21, verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first, and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the second son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? they said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. God's word. You may be seated. First cough. Anybody else need to cough? (laughs) Amen. Verse 32 is Jesus pressing his point after asking the, uh, the question. You see, I've underlined here what we should focus on. Jesus has turned to everybody there who've just heard this confrontation about his authority. He won that argument, talked about that last week, and then he, then he turns, and it's not clear who he turns to. Does he turn and look directly at the uh, chief priests and the elders, or is he uh, saying this uh, generally to the crowd who is there? It's not, not quite clear, but he says, he, he begins with, what do you think? And, he, and he, he's inviting people to think about the logic of, uh, of what he's about to present. And he gives a parable. It's a man who had two sons. And he told the first to go out to the vineyard and, uh, and work. And the son says, no, no, I will not go. But afterwards, he changed his mind. Jesus' parable. He went to the second son, and the second son I go, sir. But he didn't go. Which of the sons did the will of the father? The, the answer is immediate. The logic is impeccable. Which one did the will of the father? What was the will of the father? That the sons go to the vineyard to work. 
Which one did the will of the Father? We don't know if it's the chief priests and the elders. We don't know if it's the audience, but somebody answered the first. Because it was clear. It's clear to you. It's clear to everybody. This, this is the one that did the will of the Father. Not the one who said he wouldn't, but did. I mean, the one who said that he wouldn't and did, he's the one who did the will of the Father, the first. <coughs> Jesus says, John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed in him. And even when you saw it, when you saw them repent, you did not afterward change your minds. You did not repent and believe him. He's going to have a second parable that is also going to be a strong rebuke of the leaders at that time. I got um, (coughs) uh, three simple points flowing out of this text (coughs) that we we should pay attention to. One, repentance is more important than disobedience. Now that sounds radical. I hope. But it's the truth. Repentance. People make bad choices. People make evil choices. People make wicked choices. People do the kinds of things that they ought not to do. But what's more important is that they repent than the thing that they did wrong. And we need to remember that. You know, when we think of, uh, this is echoed throughout the scripture. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, some of you have heard this. It's when uh, Samuel confronts Saul, and Saul had made some sacrifices. Sacrifices that he should not have done. Sacrifices with animals that should have been slaughtered for other reasons. They had been put under what in the Old Testament are called the harem, the, the ban. That is, they were all devoted to destruction. And he saved some of them. Uh, instead of doing what God told him to do. And Samuel says, in, con- in confronting Saul, he says, to obey is better than to sacrifice. And some of you, uh, as you hear those words, you think of the Keith Green song. Um, you know, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. Remember that song? Great, great song. Great song. And we need to remember that repentance is more important than obedience. And, and maybe this is, this is how it, I can help you. Being the first son is only good because of repentance. Think about that, what that first son did. He was defiant. He was disrespectful. He was rebellious. He was arrogant. He was cruel. He was ungrateful. The father says, go, go son, go into the vineyard and work. I will not. Now, parents, how might you feel respond if one of your sons or daughters defiantly said in uh, response to a legitimate command to go do your chores, I will not? How would you respond? Excuse me? What else? Any, any other? Well, yes, you 
Oh, yes, you will. He's defiant. He's disrespectful of his father. He's arrogant. He's cruel. When a father or a mother hears a child say that kind of thing, it is a cruel thing to say. It's a hard thing to hear. It's ungrateful. But Jesus says, but afterward, he changed his mind. And the word that is used here is a word that means to rethink, to regret, to repent. That's what he did. Now think about the second son. Because with the second son, being the second son is only bad because of the lack of repentance. He said the right thing, right? But he didn't do what he said he was going to do. He's only, his story is only bad because he refused to repent. You see, repentance is more important than disobedience. I am not advocating disobedience. Hear me, right? But repentance is far more important. That's what Jesus is driving at here. And he's driving that because he wants, he wants the, the chief priests, the elders, the leaders at, at that time, he wants them to understand this. I want you to understand this too. Both sons start at, on the same playing field. Both can obey or disobey, repent or not repent. They, they both start on the same playing field. It's what they do afterward, after their disobedience, that is important. Now kids, if you're here and you're thinking about, well... I can disobey as long as I repent. You've missed the whole story. It's not about that. It's not giving you license to, repent, to, to disobey your parents or disobey the will of God in any circumstance. But it's holding out the grace of God that, that when we have turned, when we have recognized our wrong, when we've seen that we needed to do the right thing and we didn't and we did and we need to repent when we see that the grace of God is waiting for us when we change our mind so <coughs> what happens next well the parable tells us that God suggests to me at least that that <coughs> tells us that God is patient and long-suffering. I already asked you, how would you have responded um, to the first son's first response? Here's what one scholar writes. He says this, Jesus made three statements. The first statement indicted the religious believers for their disbelief in God's prophet, John. The second statement, by contrast, vindicated the tax collectors and prostitutes by their belief. Look at that in verse 31. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. He, he, he's saying the, the unrighteous, 
The people who, who, who were like the first son, they, they made the wrong decision. They, 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 they have sinned. Those people are going into the key. He says, the first son is like the prostitutes and the tax collectors. That's Jesus' point. Tax collectors and the prostitutes are like the first son. They disobeyed. They did the wrong thing. But they're going into the kingdom in front of you, you leaders, chief priests and elders of the first century. They're going into the kingdom before you because they repented. The second statement, by contrast, vindicated the tax collectors and the prostitutes for their belief. The third statement returned to the religious leaders, indicting them again for not taking the second chance that God had given them. The leaders should have been humbled by the example of faith in the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They should have repented or changed their minds regarding John and Jesus. But pride won out over humility. And as I hear that analysis of what's going on, and I think it's completely accurate, it tells me that the parable tells me that God is patient and long-suffering. He was long-suffering and patient with the prostitutes, but then they repented with the tax collectors, but then they repented. They, they went down to John's baptism. He was baptizing people for the, uh, to calling them to repent and believe in the kingdom. <coughs> and, uh, and they did. They were baptized by John. And finally, the parable tells me that Jesus is unafraid to confront and reveal the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. He was unafraid to do that. He's in their, he's in their territory. He's at the temple. They've been questioning his authority. It doesn't matter. He's still going to have these three parables of rebuke for them. He's still going to, with those three parables, be calling them. There's still time. There's still time for you to change your mind, for you to repent, for you to believe. It's the gospel. It's God offering the gospel over and over and over. And what is the gospel? The gospel is, it's dealing with the three problems that the law raised. The law, what, what, what does the New Testament say about the law? The law was, was our tutor to lead us to Christ. It was there to show us our need. Well, what were the needs? We have three problems. One, we have a sin problem. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. The law showed us that. Mark, where are you? Mark Paris, where are you? Oh, he's teaching back there. He asked me a question. I just saw it this morning um, um, on, my, on my phone. Um, and the question was, um, you know, I've been reading in Numbers, and I'm seeing all these sacrifices. I'm seeing how many lambs, the morning eve offering, the evening offering, the, 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 the sacrifice for this, the sacrifice for that. I'm counting out all of the lambs and all of the, all of the pigeons and all the, the, the bulls that are, that are being offered. He says, wow, there's a lot of blood said yes the law was there god was training he was teaching his people that without the for, without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin god was training his people 
So you have a sin problem. I have a sin problem. We all, everybody who's ever breathed has a sin problem. Second problem we have is that um, uh, we have a death problem. Because, because we sin, we die in our relationship with God. We, 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 we may have a, a knowledge of God, a, 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 a superficial knowledge of, that God is there, but we don't know God. And we can't commune with God the way that we could if we'd never sinned. And, and the scripture says that when uh, the promise was that the soul that sins shall die. We've died spiritually to God. We need to be rescued. We need to be redeemed. Something needs to happen to take care of our sin. Something has to cover our sin. That's what the blood sacrifices were for in the Old Testament. Third problem we have is that our good works don't work. You can be as good as you possibly can, and you're still a sinner. In fact, even if you were perfect from this point on, is there anybody that's going to be perfect from this point on? So let's just take that off the table, right? But if you could, what happens with all the sins that you, you committed in the past? Those divide, they, those separate you from God. So we got three problems, and the law was designed to lead us, to tutor us, to help us understand that we need a solution. And then the gospel comes in. And the gospel, you can wrap it up in three words. Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. Because at Christmas, God becomes a man. So that one day, John the Baptist can point at it and say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So, the incarnation happens. God becomes a man. He takes on flesh. What's the second thing that happens? The second thing that happens is, um, <coughs> is Good Friday. Christ lays down his life. He said before, no one takes it from me. I give it freely. I lay it down myself. He lays it down at atoning sacrifice, as a Passover lamb. He lays it down on a Passover as an atoning sacrifice for all those who would believe. And then he rises from the dead to conquer the third problem, the death problem. The, 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 you know, the, the second problem, actually. Um, to, to conquer that problem. He, he rises from the dead to show that he's conquered sin, he's conquered death, and the sacrifice has been made and it's acceptable. And all those who believe in Christ will be saved. That's the good news. That's what's being offered in the gospel. That's why we should all change our minds. And that's why we should all repent. That's why we should root out hypocrisy in our lives. Not because we earned anything, but because we want to live passionately for and like the one who laid down his life for us. So let me give you three simple applications. Four simple applications. One. When I read this text and I read what Jesus is driving at and he wants, he wants the chief priests and he wants the elders to repent, to change their mind. What does that say to us? How do I apply that? Jesus values repentance, so let's be repenters. Let's be a people who are constantly 
looking at our lives, evaluating them, and repenting of everything that we find there that is not consistent with one who says that they want to live passionately for and like Christ. Let's be repenters. Christians ought to be the humblest people with regard to their, their sin uh, of anybody on the planet. We ought to be constantly repenting. I think it was Martin Luther who said at one point that when God uh, bids a man come, he bids him to two things. One, to die to himself and to repent for the remainder of their lives. That's a paraphrase, but that's the gist of what Luther said. Let's be repenters. Let's be a people who are known for their humility and their willingness to back down when confronted by things that we have done sinfully wrong. Second, let's be long-suffering with one another. You know, Jesus, it's a very brief parable. But he doesn't stop and say, now let me give a parenthesis here. That boy ought to repent. <laughs> or, you know, that first boy who said that. He, he doesn't do that. He, he's he's long-suffering. When the boy responds in the parable to the father in a way that he ought not to have responded to the father. I will not. And Jesus, by implication, waits. Waits for repentance to occur. Waits for a change of mind, for a change of heart. We ought to be people who are long-suffering with one another, uh, even when there's sin. I'm not talking about just Differences. I'll talk about that in the next, next point. Maybe I'll combine these together. Let's be tolerant of weaknesses and failures and foibles and inabilities. All of you, all of us, myself included, have weaknesses, have foibles, have inabilities, have, what's the other word I use here? Um, failures. That don't rise to the level of sin, Right? So we ought to be pretty tolerant of those things in one another. On the basis of Jesus' tolerance and patience with our sin. I think that's a, a simple application that we ought to... Um, let's be long-suffering with one another. Let's be repenters. And... Let's be tolerant of weakness and failure and foibles and inabilities as well. And let's be a people who's unafraid to confront hypocrisy in one another when it needs to be confronted. Why? Because we want to be a people who live passionately for and like Christ. And if we're going to be a people who live passionately for and like Christ, this is a part of the deal. And Jesus was unafraid to do this even in a situation where... Um, uh, he was on the home turf of the people he was confronting. We need to be a people who, who lives this way because our Savior lived this way. And he calls us to this. And we ought to think of this parable and think of, of how we can be patient 
with those around us who um, need to repent, who need the gospel. We need to be patient with them because unlike uh, us, uh, us, unlike Jesus, we are not perfect. Jesus was, right? Our, our patience with one another our endurance with one another, whether they're foibles or failures or inabilities or struggles or those kinds of things. And even when it rises to the level of sin, our patience with one another ought to be very high. Because unlike our Savior, we're not perfect. We're people who were shown grace. Amen? He showed us grace, and we ought to show one another grace as well. Well, we're going to end our service today with uh, something a little different and uh, special. Um, I thought it uh, was, um, I, I didn't actually, it was, uh, who was it that made this suggestion, honey? That, that Dell come and pray. In a prayer meeting that we were in, someone suggested, I can't remember who, someone suggested, wouldn't it be great to have Dell uh, come and close our service and pray for us as a church as we move forward next week to the Bird Street uh, property. Um, Dell, uh, as you know, many of you, I'm waiting for him to come through that back door, um, has had a, a long history with this church. One of the great things that uh, I think occurred uh, in the ministry of Bill Simpson, the pastor who preceded me. One of the great things that he did was when he learned that uh, Dell and Vi had moved back into this area. He had been one of the pastors of this church uh, in the past. In fact, the pastor who brought the church into this building, okay, um, uh, when he found that Dell and Vi had moved back into this area to be near their children, he went to Dell and said, Dell, you are loved, you are remembered, and we would love to have you come back and be a part of this fellowship. And he came back. I think that's, that's one of the most beautiful things that, uh, that, that is a part of this church's history. And I think it's just, it's wonderful. It's great that we have uh, the man who shepherded this church for, for actually the longest tenure of any pastor in this church was uh, Del Regeer. And so, and I have come to love him and, and uh, um, I'm in his house once a, once a week uh, to pray and he's going to come and close our service. But he also prepared a, a video uh, of pictures from some of the history of our church. So Dell is going to come and uh, and close our service now.